Now this is the uh, first Lord's Day of the month and as is our uh, tradition here as a body, uh, we are working our way through the London Baptist Confession of Faith and we uh, find ourselves in chapter 14, a, a chapter entitled, Of Saving Faith. Now that title itself uh, screams to us that what we're looking at here is uh, is something very, very important. Uh, this is a matter uh, of what happens uh, in our souls when the gospel is made precious to us, when Christ is held out to us. It's a chapter about what saving faith is, what it focuses upon, uh, what happens in the heart uh, when it is embraced. It's a chapter that deals with some things of the struggles that God's people go through and uh, as well as the ultimate victory that is ours in Christ. Uh, some years ago when I was uh, dealing with this chapter not for the first time, but dealing with it again, I, I told a story that I've told uh, several times about the beginning of faith uh, in the heart of our oldest uh, daughter, Erin. Um, uh, we were having family worship, and I believe at that time I was going over what I was going to preach the next day. And if memory serves me right, this is 25 years ago or so. Uh, it was a message uh, from Luke's gospel on the urgency of coming to faith in Christ. Now, we had been doing worship, family worship with her since she was very, very little. And, uh, and she was, up to that time, relatively indifferent to the things of God. She wasn't hostile, wasn't angry, wasn't bitter. She was just largely indifferent. And that night, as we were going through these matters, she said something kind of that we had longed to hear her say. And uh, she said, uh, when you, or she said, that, what does it mean to believe? And how do I believe? And then she spoke words that have resonated in my heart ever since then. She said, please tell me so a child can understand. And maybe I realized, well, maybe the time dad's words were too big or <laughs> dad's concepts were too obtuse or, or whatever. But please tell me so a child could understand. Those are, those are words that preachers and teachers, moms and dads ought to lay to our heart. So how do you explain exactly and simply what it means to believe and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is we understand and proclaim absolutely necessary for the salvation of our souls. And so we want to take up a very important matter, but we want to be able to deal with it in a way that is clear and that is simple, simple and, I, and I hope uh, very helpful. Now, I sent out an outline earlier in the week. I'm going to try to do that when I can so that uh, when we have interaction that you are uh, better prepared and you know what's going to be happening uh, in the Sunday school uh, class. So we're going to look together uh, at several matters. I, uh, my thought is we're going to get about halfway through today and then we'll finish up, uh, God willing, in March. <sighs> It's all right. I'm thinking, what day? This is February, February already. All right. So we want to begin by looking at the definition of faith. 
And I'm going to read here from our confession. This is chapter 14. It's in the back of the uh, Trinity hymnal. It's readily available. Uh, Some of you have uh, devices and uh, you can Google 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 14 of Saving Faith. We read here, the grace of faith whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls is the work of the Spirit of God in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also and and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we will, God willing, partake of today, prayer and other means appointed by God, it is increased and strengthened. All right, so let's begin here with the barest definition of faith. I mean, just faith in general, okay? What does it mean to have faith? What's what's the simplest definition you can think of of what faith is? Trust, Trust. good. To know, believe, and trust. Okay, very good. I don't know if we're going to get a whole lot better than these definitions. Faith is believing all right it is believing in fact the two words are used synonymously in the word of god faith and belief faith is the noun form and believe is the verb uh, the words are almost identical in the original if, if you some of you are, are studying and have studied greek pistis for faith pistuo you can hear the similarity for believe to have faith is to believe and to believe is to have faith it's really as simple as that but what we are examining this morning is particularly the issue of saving faith that is to say there is a faith kind of belief a kind of trust and knowledge, take some of Hal's terms there, which lay hold of the Lord Jesus and the salvation that is offered to him that is before this matter, before this event, before this knowledge and this trust, the soul is unconverted and after it, it is converted. That before unforgiven, afterward forgiven. Uh, these are, this is the, the, the striking reality of what we are looking at. This is a faith, again, that focuses, and this is part of what we're going to be considering in this first point, not just the definition of faith, but really the focus of saving faith. Focus of saving faith is laying hold of the Lord Jesus and the salvation that is offered in him. It is by faith, by believing in him, trusting him, being persuaded in your heart and mind and conscience that Jesus Christ is the only hope of sinners and that all you need to do in order to have a righteousness before God and to enjoy all of the benefits of salvation is to look to him, to rest in him, to trust in him. This is the means by which, again, we lay hold of what God has done for sinners in Christ. God has done something for sinners, promised from the beginning of the world, uh, ultimate, I mean, we, yes, a few days in, but 
close enough that we say from the beginning God made a promise to our first parents and God expounded that promise and he enhanced that promises and types and shadows and prophecies of one who would come and then in history God has already done everything that is necessary for any sinner to be saved from their sins to uh, have a new life in Christ but the fact that that has already been done historically, that is, Jesus has come, Jesus has died, Jesus is risen, does not mean then that everybody enjoys the benefits of what has been done. It's not until we believe, it is not until we have faith that we are saved. Now, having said that, I want to say this. Faith does not save us. Okay, you understand that? It is by faith that we lay hold of the one who saves us. But he's the one who saves us, not, it's not our faith. Sometimes we focus on our faith. How much faith do I have on the faithometer? Uh, is it a lot? Is it a little? Is it enough? Well, again, it's not the, it's not our faith. It's the focus of our faith. It's the object of our faith that saves us. And so that in the world to come, there's not going to be in heaven sitting on a throne, this thing called faith that we bow down to and that we worship and that we thank. No, it is him who sits on the throne. It's he who sits on the throne and the lamb that we give our praise and our thanks to. Jesus is the one who has done the work on our behalf. But faith, as has long been said, is the hand that receives it. And we could go to literally hundreds of texts that demonstrate that this is so, that we are saved by faith, but that we, uh, we are saved by Christ, but we lay hold of Christ and the salvation offered in Christ by believing in him, by trusting in him, by resting in him. And as one of the great pillars of our reformed faith, by only doing that, not that added to or uh, anything else. It is, we look to him alone, faith alone. And if you wanted to look at a place in the Bible that perhaps expounds this more than any other place in the Bible, is there a book you would go to? And if so, what book would that be? Romans. All right, I, I hear Romans, do I... Right, Ephesians, very good. Now, these are, these are great answers. But one book more than any other, at least by counting noses, 109 times in this book that it extols the matter of faith. Uh, the Gospel of John. Very good. These are all, you're not going to be able to go wrong in a sense, but, but this is 109 times in John's gospel, John speaks of faith and believing. And he lays it out in these stark terms. I, I, I maybe have mentioned this. I know I've mentioned this at least some, some while ago. Um, I, 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 somehow or other, there was a, uh, a local church that heard a sermon, and this is long ago, on a cassette tape. I don't know how this ever happened. So one of you sneaky people did it, I suppose. They, they gave a message that I did in which I critiqued rather harshly 
the doctrine of, of the group called the Church of Christ or the Churches of Christ that add a host of man's works and who belittle the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ alone. And somebody, and they, they did uh, on their radio show called Bible Talk, I found out for a while they were dissecting this message and me and Reformed and Reformed Baptist and all of this. And somebody called the church one day and said, you know, why aren't you answering this? I, I didn't know what was even going on. Um, but he said, I dare you to show me one text in the Bible that says salvation comes by trusting in Jesus only. I sent him 16 pages of text, literally 16 pages of text. Let me just quote a few. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. John 3, 16, which we will look at from a slightly different angle in the morning worship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 36, who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That shows us the serious, the simplicity of the issue, but the seriousness of the issue. Jesus said in John 6, 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. We read in John 10, 43, to him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. You see what an important thing this is. What a, a glorious thing this is. In so many ways, what a simple thing this is that we can tell our children in a way that they can hopefully understand that there is the Lord Jesus. You must look to him, trust him, believe on him, receive him in whatever ways that you can try to uh, flesh that out. But in believing on him, you don't perish. In believing on him, there's a reception of everlasting life. There's the remission of sins. You find a great text, Acts chapter 16 and verse 31, that focuses again on the simplicity of the gospel believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved you and your household now let me just simply say how does your household save not by you believing but by them believing if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. If your household believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. There's not going to be a, a different way of inheriting eternal life for them than for you. Romans 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we could go uh, blessedly on and on with this truth. But let's say something about the origin of faith. And we read here, it is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. And it is ordinarily, not exclusively, most people have a, most people have a, uh, a similar testimony to some degree when it the background is different, but there comes a point in almost every testimony where things begin to align, and then there is a point where every testimony aligns. 
And where many testimonies align is that God used the ministry of the word, the teaching of the word, the preaching of the word, in order that faith was wrought uh, in the heart. It is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer and other means appointed by God. What do we call those things? Means of grace. And what is the uh, point of means of grace? Why do we participate and use means of grace? Because they do what? They strengthen and help our faith. Remove yourself from these things for a time. Don't come to church. Don't take the Lord's Supper. Don't hear the word. Again, blessedly today, people who are shut-ins and other things have an availability to the preached word that no generation in human history has ever had. Now, we have many things. Again, if we can help it, be, be there for the public gathering but there are other means blessedly of receiving the word of god the fact that we even have bibles uh in our own homes that's a relatively historically speaking a relatively recent blessing that has come upon god's people uh, so we're asking the question here and i've already begun to, to deal with it if this faith is so important Again, so important that without it, there is no salvation, but that with it, there is the fullness of salvation. Where does it come from? All right, now I want to pause here to say, should this be the focus of your discussions with those who are unbelievers? That is to say, listen, I, I want to, uh, it can be, this is for the comfort and for the fuller magnification of the grace of God in a believer. To ask yourself, where did this come from? I, I don't know. I, I, let me just share one little bit of my testimony. And I, again, this is going back 40, what is it now? 46, 47, 48 years, something like that. Yeah, 40, 40, 47 years. 47 years this year. Uh, I had uh, had a time. Uh, so 1977, I started going to church. I'd been witness to and, and was, was beginning to go to church. I remember fairly clearly, I think it was in October of, of 1977, having a discussion with a friend of mine who had a religious family. And I told them that I was thankful for what I was hearing, that Jesus was obviously great, but that I did not believe he was the son of God. A month later, I was asking him and his family to pray for me because I was going to be baptized shortly. And so he asked us, well, so well, what happened? What happened in me in those period of two or three weeks? How did I go from saying, I like what I'm hearing, but I'm not persuaded that Christ is, as it were, the answer, that Christ is the way of eternal life, to believing that and proclaiming that to anybody that would listen for the next almost 50 years. Right. So the, it wasn't just the word of God because I'd been hearing the word of God for months, but the spirit taking the word was working effectually in my heart, right? So this is, this is what happens, right? As we, I don't, there may be a few who say the first time I ever heard, I believe. 
that's, for, that's relatively rare, but it is the Word and the Spirit, not just the Spirit apart from the Word or the Word apart from the Spirit, but these things are put together. Again, the Word of God tells us here that our faith, that faith that lays hold of Christ is a gracious work of God, brought about first of all by the Spirit of God. And are there any places in the Bible that you see either that that logically must be the case or explicitly that it is the case? All right, John 1. Ephesians 2 8. And Jim, you're focusing there particularly on the words? Yeah, and then explain, and not of yourselves, right? In case you don't get that. It's the gift of God, not of yourself. Therefore, well, where did it come from? Well, it's told us it, it has come to us from God. It does not arise, first and foremost, merely within. Now listen to this, once it has been given to us, it can be laid hold of by us and that we do have a part in seeing it strengthened or weakened. There are things we could listen to, people that we can be around, messages we could hear, podcasts we could hear that would sap us of our faith. And there are those that will strengthen our faith and, and we, we make decisions, don't we? Um, I, you know, so, but in its origin, it comes from God. Now, for, the Bible teaches this. First of all, I'm going to say negatively in its description of unregenerate men. So before Ephesians 2.8, which Jim pointed to, is Ephesians 2.1. And what does Ephesians 2.1 tell us about our native state apart from grace? That we are what? dead in our sins and in our trespasses. Listen to how this is flashed out in Romans chapter 3. Now, brethren, we need to remember this. You who are witnessing to others, whether it's in your home or out in the street or uh, in your place of employment or wherever it is, I had an opportunity, had a wonderful, clear opportunity last night. Some people invited us over for a meal, former neighbors. Uh, and the door was wide open to begin to share the gospel. But I have to remember that the one I'm talking to, the one who doesn't believe, that they need more than just a logical persuasion. Uh, I was able to answer some questions for them in a way that was helpful, etc. But we also need to remember, this was true of us if we're now in Christ, and it's true of our sons and our daughters. It's true of our neighbors and friends and all around us. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Paul's quoting here a series of Old Testament passages. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, whose feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You want to understand the world in which we live? There you go. Bible explains it to us. Another text that I think of in this regard is 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. And this now we begin to move from 
These are texts that show us it's not of ourselves. It can't be of ourselves. If, if, if Romans 3 is a true declaration of our condition, and to give it in that more summary form of Ephesians 2, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, then we need something outside of ourselves. We need a gift from God that's not of ourselves. And 1 Corinthians 1.30 says this, and this is after this beautiful description of uh, what happens when the preaching of the cross becomes for us not a stumbling block or foolishness, but it becomes the wisdom and power of God. But he says this, but of him you are in Christ Jesus. How did I get, if I am in Christ Jesus, how do I know I'm in Christ? Because I believe in him. I've trusted in him. That means I'm, I'm in him. I'm now in him. He's done a work in me and for me and it's of him that we are in Christ Jesus who became for us. Now, he became for us in our own inner man and in our own soul, wisdom from God. Now, he was always wisdom from God, but he wasn't wisdom from God to us, right? And righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And now he closes it with these words or this argument that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, right? So that's the whole point of the revelation of these things. It's to comfort us. It's to help us to understand that God was at work in us and pursuing us and opening our eyes and uh, giving us understanding, helping us to see our sin and our need. He was, he was doing all of that. And others were involved, moms and dads, neighbors, friends, stranger on the street perhaps, uh, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, others were involved in all of this. But at the end of the day, if we're going to glory that Christ is our righteousness and wisdom and sanctification from God and our redemption, well, who do you give the thanks to? Not, you know, uh, you got to remember sometimes because you could look at it and say, you know, two of us, like in the, for instance, that first time I went to the Bible study and met Pastor McNearman, there were two of us. It wasn't just me on that walk that day when I got invited. It's another guy, Mike. And, and Mike is now living a, a very, very different lifestyle. One believed, one didn't. One has been preserved, one wasn't. Now, do I glory in that? And so, yeah, I was, I was smarter, I was better. No, of course not. All of the glory belongs to the Lord. When Peter expressed his faith in the Lord Jesus, that beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 16, I believe, we believe, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does the Lord say to Peter? Remember, he says, congratulations, you figured it out, good job. You remember that? Now, what does he say to him? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. And why is he so blessed? Because... That's right. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Certainly your own flesh and blood, but my Father who is uh, in heaven. Uh, going back to this passage in John chapter uh, 1, uh, beginning at verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And now he's going to give a little bit of background and help us who were born... And does he mean born or does he mean born again here? He means born again, right? 
who were born, you know, because he's, he's using the imagery of children of God. Children are born. Children of God are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. That is, it's not by, it's not by bloodlines, and it's not simply by parental determination or other determination. It is by God, and God sometimes shows that in ways that are, that are painful. I, I know a family, uh, you, many of you know somebody in this family, uh, 10 children, nine of the children came to saving faith in Christ and walked with the Lord. One died in their sins. And you say, well, who makes you to differ? Because the idea certainly could be when that kind of wonder happens and your parents watch as one after another after another and it does it's not this is one of the hard things that stretches our faith why if i'm doing as we said we talked about wednesday night a family that said at one point a family that was here that said i did everything right and it's hard it can be frustrating and we have to remember they're not born of the will of the flesh or the will of man but of god one more text we, we read in John chapter 6 and verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, again, I don't want any unbeliever here to read that and say, well, I'm just going to sit back passively until I feel God drawing me. Well, listen, you have a responsibility to lay hold of these things given to you. It, it's been revealed to you. Your state has been revealed to you. The world to come has been revealed to you. And the gospel has been revealed to you. And to whom much is given, much is required. Now, if you do come, then you'll be able to look back and say, God was drawing me. All right. Uh, other passages. Yeah, let me, let me give a couple of other passages, just reinforcing here. Uh, Acts chapter 14 and verse 27. Uh, this is uh, the church and uh, coming back and describing what the what Lord has done among the Gentiles of the church in Antioch. And we read in Acts 14, 27, uh, when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So again, we're trying to show that it is by the Spirit that these things happen. You read a very personal application of this in the life of Lydia in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Now the question comes, does God who by the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, opens hearts and gives them faith and draws them, does he use means? Do we, do we simply say, Lord, open their hearts? Or do we not, then the Lord might say to you, all right, well, open your mouth. You want me to open their heart? Open your mouth. Open your Bible, right? Though God could simply supernaturally grant all faith and knowledge that is suddenly 
in isolation without knowledge of any previous matters to suddenly believe i suppose god could do that god has been pleased to use the word as the agency of his faith the message of the gospel was to be proclaimed preached the lord jesus is to be held forth and then as Christ is heard through the gospel in its proclamation, personally or publicly, God grants the ability to believe, but not without or apart from the word. Now, God uses the word at times written apart from a preacher. Some of you, I believe, have testimonies. You didn't hear a sermon. You didn't hear any, you, you, you began to read your Bible and Christ was revealed to you as you read the word. But it was the word. You had to hear and understand the gospel. You had to hear who Jesus is so that you could believe on him. Who is he that I may believe? Remember the blind man, the formerly blind man? Do you believe in the son of man? Who is he that I might believe on him? Well, tell me who he is. Explain some of this to me. Paul puts it this way in Romans 10, uh, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That is, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, he says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom or literally whom they have not heard? That is Christ ministers through the word whom they have not heard, not of whom, but whom. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of great things. And then verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right. Um, we've got a couple of minutes here for some questions uh, before we pray. Anything, word of clarification, Hal? Uh, confession says something about uh, the ordinary, ordinarily walked by ministry of the word. Yes. Uh, 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 Paul, Saul of Tarsus, uh, having the Lord Jesus appear to him uh, on the road to Damascus. Uh, you could argue uh I, I don't want to make too little of it. I, I think maybe some have perhaps made too much of what happened in the womb of Elizabeth when uh, John the Baptist leapt in the womb. Uh, was that where, where she says, you know, he, as soon as your greetings reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. He leapt for joy at the presence of the Lord Jesus. I mean, again, I have that little, have that little, you know, 
however far along she was, I think what, in her six months or so at that time, uh, how did, how did, was there an understanding? What was he? And some have said, you know, was John the Baptist saved in the womb at that, that moment? That, that argument has certainly been made. What, what is explicit is that <clears throat> by, certainly we say by the spirit, it wasn't that, you know, uh, uh, embryonic, you know, evangelism that, that had been going on previously. Uh, I, I don't believe, you know, that, 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 you know, we sing to our kids, pray to our kids in the womb and talk to them and all of those things. Uh, and, and maybe you do begin to, you know, when you're talking to the mama's belly, you, you say something about the Lord Jesus. But without the preaching, without the word being given in the ordinary sense. So that, those are at least a couple of examples. I don't know if somebody else has another one you can think of. Yeah. 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 There were visions, revelations of things that some had. In, yeah. Yeah. That's a. I mean, Joseph might might be a really good ex example of that. It may be you know that God working that faith in Joseph to believe that the son who would come would would be would uh, take away the sins of the world. Uh, that wasn't given in a sermon. It was given by some, you know, extra revelations. So. All right, maybe one more quickly here before we comment. All right, well, I hope this is an encouragement to us. I mean, just again, that what God has revealed in his word, may it be a comfort to us and, and may it help us in our labors and in our prayers for others. And may it be that Every family here will be united in faith in Christ and that uh, nobody is too far gone uh, in the far country. God is able to bring from the far country and open hearts and to draw people uh, in his time and in his way. Well, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would uh, own and bless your word. Again, we pray for your help and mercy uh, toward our friends, uh, not just the Joubert's, others, the uh, Karen and others who, who suffer at this time. Thank you for raising others up. Thank you Wanda's here and Ruth is here and reminders that you do touch and you do heal. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.